Amen. Good morning. Welcome to everyone. Glad you're with us today. Today we have a special occasion with us in that we are going to be uh, doing my installation. I don't, and we're going to learn what that is in a minute. Uh, but we're excited about that because uh, we get to have with us today our conference superintendent of the Pacific Northwest Conference of the Free Methodist Church, the Reverend Michael Forney. Michael, come on up. And uh, we're excited always when we can have members of the leadership of our annual conference with us, leading us, and really helping us understand that we're a connected church. We are not a singular congregation. We are part of a free Methodist movement around the world. And so when we have an opportunity to have leaders with us from the conference, it reminds us that we're part of that worldwide movement. So, Michael, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Craig, and thank you for your patience. Uh, we did uh, plan on doing this a much closer to the time that uh, Pastor uh, Craig came. And as many of you have experienced over the last couple of years, COVID got in the way. So thank you for your patience. We're glad to be here this morning. You know, as part of uh, our tradition and what we try to remember, as Pastor Craig mentioned, is that we're connected to the larger body of Christ uh, here in the Northwest and around the world, that the Spirit of God is at work around the world through His church. And right at the very beginning of the church, Jesus commissioned the disciples. We even call it the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus sends all of us to go into all the world and to make disciples. And um, that, that tradition of Jesus sending the disciples was carried on by the church. Uh, in the book of Acts, we see that whenever people were being set aside for the work of the ministry, they were commissioned to go. We see that uh, in uh, very early on as they uh, picked a replacement for Judas. We see that later on as Paul and Barnabas are sent. And we see that as a continuing pattern throughout the book of Acts. It goes even further than that past the book of Acts as Paul talks about carrying on that transition with Timothy. And that very uh, that very tradition of commissioning people and setting them aside for the work of the ministry has been carried on since the time of Jesus throughout the church globally through our tradition more recently. And we want to carry on that tradition uh, today. We're so thankful, friends, that when we are called by God into this work of the ministry that we're not, it doesn't just depend upon us. Amen. It's not just about our own strengths and abilities or, or our own competencies, but rather we lean into and we are inspired by and we are empowered by the presence of the living God within us. Do you believe that? Amen. So uh, if you would join with me, I'm going to pray a prayer of commissioning uh, for Pastor Craig. And if you would stretch forward your hand, if you'd like to stand, you can. And let's just uh, set him aside for this work. Heavenly Father, we are just thankful for your love and your grace. We're thankful for the presence of the Holy Spirit with us at all times. And we're thankful, Lord, that you call uh, men and women uh, all over the world through all of ages uh, to serve the work of the ministry, to equip your church uh, for that work. And you have called Craig uh, to First Free Church here in Seattle to equip this church for the work of the ministry in 
in Seattle. And Lord, we acknowledge this calling today. Uh, we, uh, we just pray a commissioning as he has been appointed through the Free Methodist Church to equip this church for the work of the ministry. Would you be present and available to him at any and all times as he uh, makes decisions? Would you provide wisdom? Lord, as he uh, does the work of the ministry, may the power of the Holy Spirit be evident uh, in that work. Lord, would you give him favor with all of us in the congregation that we might follow his lead so that the name of Jesus Christ might be lifted up yes, and that people who are now far from God in the city of Seattle would come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the ministry of this church and because of the work that you have sent Pastor Craig to do. Mm -hmm. And we ask these things in the precious and most holy name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank, Thank, you, Thank you, Pastor you, Craig. Thank you. Pastor Mark, my predecessor, please come and lead us. The scripture reading today is from Luke 1, 24 and 25, and 39 to 56, and maintaining a, a custom prevalent in much of the church, I would encourage you to stand as we uh, listen to the gospel reading. Afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. She kept to herself for five months saying, this is the Lord's doing. He has shown his favor to me by removing my disgrace among other peoples. Mary got up, hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. She entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And with a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women. He has blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. And Mary said, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God, my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. So Mary, stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Did y'all want to stay there or did you want to flee? You're going to stay? You go. Awesome. Josh, on the other hand, is going to flee. Totally makes sense. Well, you may notice things look a little different in here. Have you noticed? 
There's no big lights up on the side and no big stands with cameras and everything. All that's been permanently installed. It's kind of exciting, to be honest, because um, when I asked Melinda Howard, our uh, director of facilities, to go get estimates to have everything permanently installed, um, she was giddy with excitement. And so was the leadership team likewise giddy with excitement when they had the opportunity to say, yes, we want that work done five minutes ago. And so all of the uh, things that we put up for live streaming that we needed to have done during the pandemic have not all been permanently installed. We didn't get rid of that equipment. We just permanently installed it. So the cameras are mounted. The speakers are up in the air. There's no more wires on the floor. And so the sanctuary looks uh, in many ways the way it's supposed to look as we move uh, through Sunday worship and as we move closer and closer, of course, to Christmas Eve worship. So let me tell you about that very quickly. Our Christmas Eve worship service is this year at 5 and 7 p.m. Now, the 5 p.m. service is proving to be the most popular. And so what that means is that 7 p.m., we could use a little bit more help from folks who might be able to do one of two jobs for us. Uh, one is just to help greet and welcome people, and the second is we need folks to read scripture during that service. We need five more people that can help us with that. Pastor Camille is right here in the front, so if you can help with that, come talk to Pastor Camille, and she'll get you connected so that we can have you here. Remember, on Christmas Eve, just like Easter, there will be many, many people from our community that do not come to church. They do not know the Lord. They're going to come to this place, and they're going to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we as a church want to welcome all of those people. This is a mission for us to reach new people and that there will be people who come here who do not know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christmas Eve is an opportunity to proclaim that. So your effort to help support the 5 o'clock and the 7 o'clock service, not only for you to participate in, but to help serve, will really make a difference. So please pray and reflect on how God might be calling you to do that. The second thing I want to tell you about is Christmas Day is on a Sunday this year, right? Good, you're alive, right. So what that means is that we're only going to have one worship service at 9 a.m., and it's going to be a digital-only worship service. We will not gather here in the sanctuary on Christmas Day. If you come here, you will have an experience in quiet contemplation because we will not be here Christmas Day morning. But our digital worship service we're preparing will drop at 9 o'clock in the morning. So starting on Christmas Day at 9, you can go on to our live stream page, our website, or onto our YouTube channel, and you can participate in Christmas Day worship that we've prepared especially for that morning at 9 o'clock. Pastor Camille has a bunch of other announcements. I want to let her tell you about those calls to action a little bit later on. Now, why are all of these things important? Because it's about the essential message that we proclaim in Advent and Christmas. And I remember when I used to drive around in Los Angeles a lot, there was a particular billboard back in the 1990s that was purchased by someone, we don't know who, and the billboard was a white background of black letters, and it included a different quotation from God on it. We have no idea if a church did this or an individual, and I remember vividly driving down the five, yes, it's the five from L.A., and driving down the five, look up at the billboard, and it says, don't make me come down there signed by God. It's like what every parent says, don't make me come down there, don't make me come over there. In Advent and in Christmas, that's exactly what's happened, isn't it? God has come down here in our midst. 
If we read the Bible from beginning to end, we read a story about how God comes to us in human flesh. Whether it be kings, whether it be prophets, whether it be patriarchs or matriarchs or whoever it might be, God comes in human flesh. The exception to the rule is when God makes some kind of cosmic appearance, like the burning bush for Moses or the pillar of you know, fire by night and the cloud by day that guided the children of Israel through the wilderness as they eventually came to the promised land. Those are the exceptions. The norm is that God comes and appears and speaks and moves in this stuff. Us, human beings. And ultimately, God has come in a human being named Jesus. That is our gospel. That God has taken on human flesh and has come among us in Jesus. So today we're going to talk about the first time Mary and Elizabeth had a meeting with each other when they were both with child. And we're going to talk about it in terms of community. Community. So I'm going to teach you a very short sentence, and I want you to repeat it after me. You ready? I'm going to give it to you a couple times. Community rejoices in God's blessings. Community rejoices in God's blessings. Now try saying it with me. Community rejoices in God's blessings. We're going to talk about each one of those words or phrases one at a time this morning, and I'm going to have some uh, pictures and individuals to help with this. So let's talk about community first. The kind of community that's going on in the story is between Mary and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And this story happens about five or six months after Elizabeth has become pregnant. Remember the story from a couple of weeks ago in Luke chapter 1 when Zechariah received the message that his wife Elizabeth would be with child. Elizabeth was well beyond childbearing years, and yet she miraculously turns up pregnant. Now, she stayed in hiding in her home, it says, for about five months. And then when it became no longer easy to conceal the fact that she was pregnant, of course, she begins to go out in public. It's at that time, right when that moment of transition happens, when Elizabeth is no longer able to conceal that she's pregnant, that's when Mary arrives. And Mary and Elizabeth meet together in this story in Luke chapter 1. Now, they meet in a place called Ein Karim. That's the name of the city today. And it would have been about an 80-mile voyage for Mary to come from Nazareth to Ein Karim. And in Ein Karim today, there's a church built there called the Church of the Visitation. And outside the church, there's this statue right here. It's a statue of Mary and Elizabeth as they face each other, greeting each other for the very first time, both with child. Now, when we were there in 2012 on one of my pilgrimages, we just so happened to have someone on our pilgrimage named Elizabeth and another one named Mary, so we had them pose in front of the two statues that you can see there to just drive home the point a little bit. It says that when Mary arrived, she greeted Elizabeth, and then Elizabeth describes to her how the baby in her womb leapt for joy. See, the kind of community that's going on here is, is somewhat mysterious. It's not just Mary and Elizabeth. It's John the Baptist in the womb, leaping for joy. It's Mary, pregnant with Jesus, Jesus in her own womb, as they come together. This is such a rich story of how they find some sense of community together. They find each other in shared community, both pregnant, but at opposite ends of the spectrum. Elizabeth is well past the years of being able to bear a child. So she has a unique set of challenges, right? 
Mary, on the other hand, is not married to Joseph yet. And yet she's pregnant with child. She's on the opposite end of the spectrum. She's too young and also, in, by cultural standards, inappropriately with child. So you see the dynamic. It's very important as we all sit here today in our warm, comfortable sanctuary. And for those of you joining us online, do not underestimate the kind of pressure and cultural expectation that these two women are under. Do not underestimate it. It's very real. By Mary being out and about, pregnant with child and not being married, that's a scandal in the ancient world. Elizabeth, likewise, being well beyond the year she should be with child. That's going to precipitate all sorts of questions. People are going to wonder what has happened. These two women find themselves in a very challenging moment, and they come together and form community. Community happens when we come together with people, especially in small settings like this, that have shared affinities and values and experiences and that's exactly what's happening with Mary and Elizabeth. They draw strength from each other because God is in their midst, in their meeting. And I thought it would be good for you to hear a story about what it's like to be in that kind of community, a kind of community that nurtures and encourages and disciples people. So I asked Pastor Bonnie Brand if she could come and tell you just a little bit of her story about being in these groups of community and what it's like to be in relationship with people with a shared affinity and shared encouragement. So, Pastor Bonnie, thanks so much for coming. Thanks for being a part of this conversation. I'm going to turn things over to you for a few minutes. Thank you, Pastor Craig, for allowing me this opportunity. In the last couple weeks, as I've been thinking about this, I've been deeply moved. As I've reflected on past small groups I've been a part of, uh, opportunities I've had to be in community with people who often really often are not exactly like me, uh, but we, get, we come together for something that turns out to be very beautiful. It's been a privilege really to recognize, honestly I might get kind of emotional because as I've reflected back, I'm realizing the deep work God has done for me in community. There have been opportunities to build amazing relationships Sometimes, because of our mobility and all of the issues related to our lifestyle, uh, we don't stay in the same small groups. We may move for, because of seasons in our life or the type of groups we're in. But these groups have been absolutely significant in my spiritual development and formation over the years. There are many types of groups. Uh, they used to call me the queen of small groups because that was part of my job. And so over the years, I've had the opportunity to be in groups like um, discipleship or leadership training or marriage mentoring or accountability groups or groups, well, all of those groups had a spiritual growth element. Um, Deep friendships, as I said, have been formed and they've lasted forever. Sometimes, as I said, people move on, but those deep friendships are still there. 
I had to laugh when I reflected on the fact that there's two women in this church. I don't see one of them this morning, but then I can't see like I used to be able to. But there are two women in this group who knew me in my very first small group that I did as a Campus Life Youth for Christ director, Loretta's right there. They were juniors in high school at Queen Anne High School. And I was 22. And it was my first small group, and I can still remember it. it was on First and Second Corinthians, and I didn't know anything. But these women, with the several other women in high school at that time, uh, gathered weekly, and we fell in love with one another. We learned to respect one another. We learned to encourage one another. But. I would like to say that at looking at Mary and Elizabeth in that setting, I want to tell you about three small groups that I'm currently a part of. Two groups have been meeting for over 13 years and one for over 21 years. And you may say, Bonnie, wow, why do you need to be in three small groups? That seems very odd. We know you're an extrovert, but this is really weird. Well. I guess my only answer to you is to say, well, maybe I need three small groups. Maybe I need this just to keep in line. Well, I mean, it's true. Think about it. Maybe I need all of these just to be surrounded by people and community that are part of my growth. I'm going to give you just a little profile of those three groups so you'll understand what I'm talking about and why why those are significant to me. And the first one is a group that I've been meeting with for, as I said, over 21 years. And this is a group of six women who uh, we were gathered together because we all had public ministries. We all were out there doing things uh, publicly and maybe had no real safe place to be ourselves. So this group, I'll tell you who formed it. You may know Leslie Parrott. She's, she was public then, and she and Les are still in all these big arenas all over the country and the world uh, talking about marriage mentoring. But she recognized, as a mom with small kids, actually when we gathered she didn't even have children yet, uh, that, that it was important to have a safe place. So we've been gathering, and we have grown together through having small children, having teenagers, having uh, challenges with um, marriage and family situations. All of us have gone through learning to adult our children or learning to be part of adult children's lives now. We um, have had challenges and uh, successes in our careers. We have walked through um, lives together as our parents have aged and passed away, as our kids now give us grandchildren. We have all that in common, and now, of course, we're aging. So we, we have that that we bring together every two weeks and talk about, and we have a formula and a way we do this, but we talk about who we are together. And then Arnie and I have been in a couple small group for many years now. And in that group, again, I'd like to say that all of us are not the same. And one of the major things I've learned in that particular group is that we can still be together. We can still love one another and respect one another, even if we're from different 
political places, different um, career settings, all sorts of differences. But we don't see that when we come together. But that's a learned part of what happened in our community. And then finally, uh, and in that group, we, we either have a Bible study or we work on a book together. And the final group is five clergy women. We're free Methodists. And we have come through our careers together. We met when we were about 20, 27, maybe, at some of the very first times when free Methodists acknowledged they had women clergy. But they didn't really know what to do with this. And we didn't really know what to do ourselves or what to expect. So this group has been very significant as we've grown together and all of us have had different career paths uh, within our ministries. But we meet on Zoom now every Tuesday at, at one o'clock. And some people may be even out of the country, but we gather and we talk about where we're going, what we're doing, and I think the significant thing is that in these moments, it's really like the prophecy between Elizabeth and Mary. We're seen, we're heard, and the best in us is called out. We're challenged. If you know me, you know I, I need to be challenged and somebody needs to say, sit down and think this through. But my, my friends, and in all three of these groups, what we have together is an opportunity to call out the best, to discern for one another, to pray for one another. And I must say, I'm more sane, I've grown spiritually, and I've been encouraged through discernment and my hope for the future. I've been transformed because my spiritual friends have told me I'm okay and I'm loved. I'm blessed because I know each week folks are praying for me, specifically for the needs that are closest to my heart. And I am stretched by the commitment I've made to pray for others. So I say thank you, Lord, for these opportunities to realize that we're not alone on the journey. Thank you. questions I'd like us to think about this week. Here they are. What, where are you able to be in deep relationships with others? And what barriers might keep you from finding those deep relationships? Two questions to reflect on this week and wonder about. Community rejoices in God's blessings. Say it with me. Community rejoices in God's blessings. And this is what happens between Elizabeth and Mary. There's a lot of rejoicing in this story. So let's talk about rejoicing. The word joy or rejoice occur three times in this text we read this morning. And they each share a sense of joy, even though they're both living in very challenging situations at those own moments in which they have this exchange together. When um, Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, it says, John the Baptist in the womb leaps for joy, right? And then Mary, later on in her song, which is called the Magnificat, says this, that she rejoices in God, her Savior. 
Today we light the pink candle because, it, here's your trivia, in case you want to try it out this week at a Christmas party, it's Godette Sunday, and that's the Sunday of joy. We focus on this message of joy and especially this connection between Mary and Elizabeth and all the rejoicing that takes place here. There's a lot wrong in the lives of these two women. Do not underestimate the pressure and the stress and the situation that they both find themselves in. So if we were to think about happenings, even though they're both so-called joy with being pregnant, they are facing life situations that are very dire and very challenging. All Joseph has to do is accuse Mary publicly of adultery, and she'll be put to death by stoning. Next week, we're going to talk about our friend Joseph. You see, this is a dangerous time for these two women, a troubling time for them. But yet, even in the midst of this, by coming together and sharing the stories of what God is doing in their lives, they rejoice together. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us what? Here it is. We'll put it up on the screen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This, written by a man who wrote those words in jail. You see, there's something about this issue of joy that I'm afraid that we've not quite grasped, that in our culture's proclivity to pleasure and recreation and happiness, that it has forgotten the abiding power of joy even in the most difficult situations. It's quite possible for us to be filled with joy even when the happenings of our life are swirling down the drain. This is the message we hear again and again in Scripture, and especially in this text in Luke chapter 1. Here are these two women come together experiencing joy in a powerful new way. As you all know, in our congregation, we are in a pivotal time as a church. We're in a moment where we're having to understand and discern what God's future for our church is. And that involves a number of different challenges for us. There's challenges we face in our church around how many people are engaged in our congregation. Over the last 10 years, we're half the size of the church we were 10 years ago. The pandemic has taken its toll in our midst, not only members of our church who have been sick and have died from COVID-19, but as we try to reconstitute a community after COVID, that's been a tremendous a challenge to us. And one of the groups that we have not been able to regather back together are children and parents of children. You notice that they're conspicuously absent from the life of our church in many different ways. And friends, it's not for lack of effort. Hours and hours and hours of work go into trying to crack the nut of how we re-engage with families, how we re-engage with children, and we're making progress. And so it's easy to sit and have a moment where we pause and get discouraged. It's easy to pause and get even discouraged the fact that even this year in our own church, from our financial point of view, that we're running behind what we budgeted to receive in revenue for this year. And so as we're trying to think about what we're going to do next year financially, we have to factor in how we're doing this year financially. This is a challenging time, friends. No one said amen. There's joy. This was Friday night. 
There's 120 children there singing Christmas carols in this very spot I'm standing. They're all children from the North Queen Anne Child Care. They come five days a week to a building 25 feet away. Our pastor of family life, Stephanie, who you see at the beginning of our worship, she spends hours every week working with the NQACC, North Queen Anne Child Care, so that these families can get an exposure to her. She teaches chapel with them. She does all sorts of work with them. And after this event was over Friday night, when we had all of these 120 children up here, here's what we did afterwards. We invited them all into the gym for carnival games that the members of our church all gathered together and put on. Some of you were there Friday night running carnival games in our gym. That gym was filled with families with children who live in this community that don't go to church here yet. And then they came upstairs afterwards, and then they ate tacos, which were cooked and prepared by Stephanie. She spent all day Friday cooking, preparing the meal for this group to come and eat. You see, we're facing a lot of challenges, but it's not for lack of effort. What it is is it's simply being consistent and diligent and rejoicing in what God is doing in our midst. There are families with children that come to this church all the time. Our job is to do what? Reach them. Reach them. And that means we're going to have to reach them in a way we have not reached them before. When I talk with people who've been a part of this church for five years or 20 years, they all tell me the same thing, that we have never done a good job connecting with the families that come to the NQACC, the North Queen Anne Child Care, which our church owns and operates. So, what should we do? Rejoice. Because everything that we need for this season, God has given us. We already have it. What we have to do is start acting like we already have it. Instead of wringing our hands and worry to no end. So one easy step for you to do today is pray for this pastor. She's sitting in the dark right over there. She didn't know I was going to put her on the spot. She loves it. Loves it. Here's a couple questions for us to reflect on. How is joy amplified when it's shared in community? How is joy amplified in community? See, the, the, the rejoicing between Mary and Elizabeth happens when they connect. So it's amplified when they come together. And how is joy happening in your life today? Not happiness. How is joy happening in your life today? And then, how do you experience it differently than happiness? How do you experience those two things differently? Community rejoices in what? God's blessings. Say it with me. Community rejoices in God's blessings. Now, the focus here for Mary and Elizabeth is their shared experience of God's blessing. And in one of the great moments of this text in Luke 1, we hear Mary uh, have this... um, this exclamation, if you will. It's called the Magnificat. It's the song of praise, and it's largely modeled after the song of praise that uh, Hannah speaks in 1 Samuel. Hannah is the mother of the prophet Samuel, who will then go on to anoint and bless the first two kings of Israel. 
her song is filled with a backwards reflection, all the things that God has done, and then a forward reflection about all the things that God will do. So, let's look at how Mary's perspective for the future is shaped by what God has done. We're going to put the text up on the screen so we can read it. And I will read it to you. This is Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 51. Pastor Mark has already read it. Let's hear it again. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has given help to his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and his descendants forever. Interesting, isn't it? That even in this dire moment in which she finds herself, this difficult situation, being nothing more than Joseph's command away from being stoned to death, that's her reflection. That God has toppled rulers down. That God's reign and rule and justice and power are coming into the world, and it cannot be stopped. (laughs) I love this story. Through these two women, God is going to topple empires. Through these two women, God is going to redeem the world and bring salvation to all who seek it. What a remarkable story. Two obscure women, one from Ein Karim, one from Nazareth, and God comes into their lives and says, I'm going to do something remarkable through you. And they both say, who, me? And God says, yes, you. And something miraculous happens. I want you to take note that these two women are not in a learning situation. They're not in a classroom situation. They're not sitting in a lecture, are they? They are not trying to learn more about the Bible, and they're not trying to learn more about theology. They are talking about what God is doing in their lives. And it's through that sharing that they begin to grow and they're changed. Now, this is not to discount any of those other activities. There's nothing wrong with having groups that pray, that study the Bible, that do these things. But there has to be somehow, somewhere, a place where people sit in small community together and share their lives. There has to be a place to do that. This last week, I had a chance to sit in my small group like Bonnie had. My small group is called a band, and there's only two other people in it, the three of us, and we meet together regularly to talk about our spiritual life. And the great thing that we did this last week when we met together is one of us shared some of the the struggle we were having in our spiritual disciplines, like we were going through these disciplines of journaling and reading scripture on our own every day, but we just felt like we weren't really kind of connecting in that. It's almost like we were hitting a wall in that moment. And as soon as one person shared that, another person in the group said, that's exactly what's happening in my life right now. And then the third person says, I just came out of a season like that in my life, and let me tell you what I learned. So we sat in that group together and shared spiritually where we were hitting roadblocks and where our challenges were, and God spoke and moved. There's no meeting in my life I value more than that one. Because in that meeting, God speaks and moves, and my life is is changed. So a couple questions for us to reflect on. How am I sharing the story of God's blessing to encourage others? And where am I engaged in deep Christian community? If not, where might I start? 
It seems unusual to take this text, which is so well known. One of the most famous Roman Catholic prayers is lifted from this text. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Do you realize everything I just said in that prayer that Roman Catholics say is lifted from Luke chapter 1? All of it is scriptural, every word. This famous text that's so well known, we choose to dwell this day on community and what it means to be in community. On January the 10th, Sebignon Ganasu and I are going to start a class for eight weeks. And we're going to have people learn how to be in this kind of small group. We're going to launch small groups in the life of our church in this way, in the Wesleyan Methodist tradition of mutual accountability together. It's historically called a class meeting, but that name doesn't really work so well, so we haven't figured out a name yet. So guess who's going to pick the name? The first group of people who go through the class. You'll pick the name. And we're going to meet together to talk about what it is to be in a Wesleyan small group. So right now, it's perfectly fine for you to take your cell phone out and scan that QR code because it will take you to the registration page where you can sign up for that class. And so for eight weeks, we're going to walk through the basics of the free Methodist tradition. We're going to actually share in a small group class meeting together. Not talk about it. We're actually going to sit and work our way through a class meeting for eight weeks. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the history of our church and the uniqueness of it and how we can find our place in it. So it's kind of a strange class. It's not only our new member class, like if you want to become a member of this church, you should go to this class. If you've been a member of this church for 30 years, but you're hungering for deeper community, a deeper way to connect, then this is the class you should come to. I would encourage you to participate. We're going to learn how to watch over one another in love, as John Wesley said. And we're going to be in smaller community together. There's a truth about churches that grow. Churches that grow big grow small at the same time. And we're going to grow small by taking this next step. And I'm excited that Sebignon and I are leading this time together. I'm especially excited Sebignon's joining me with his, his vision and his perspective on Wesleyan history and theology. He teaches in the School of Theology at Seattle Pacific. I'm so thrilled he's going to do this with me. I don't know another way to encourage you. If you want to have a meeting like Elizabeth and Mary, sign up. Come. God will change our church through this. I believe it deep in my bones because I've seen how these groups have changed my life. Pastor Bonnie told you about how these groups have changed her life and God can change your life in them too. Sign up and come. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would be with us as we launch this effort of being in small group together, being in these so-called class meetings and bands that we can learn what it is to live out our faith with one another in community. There are many ways, God, in which we can sit and we can learn about the Bible, learn about theology, we can hear sermons, we can listen to podcasts, we can do so many different things to help us learn. But God, what we desperately need is a place to be in deep community. We can be in relationships with people. So we're so thankful for this meeting between Mary and Elizabeth that as they come together, they rejoice in what you're doing in their lives, even in the midst of great challenge. Help us, God, to live in the same kind of rhythm, to rejoice, even in the moments of great challenge. We're thankful 
ultimately for that which comes forth from these two women, John the Baptist and Jesus himself. We're thankful that Jesus laid for us an example of how we're to live together, that when Jesus came among us, he started a small group. And so may we too walk in his footsteps as we learn to live sacrificially for one another as he has for us.